I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And he's not actually Mike McGinnis. Don't let him fool you, folks. <laughs> actually, this is, um, oh my goodness, I was about to say the Retro Computing Roundtable. This oh no. Is no. no quarter. That's what this is. The, the classic arcade podcast. And I clearly am taking our game this week to task and recording drunk. <laughs> yeah. Well, I usually at least hesitate for a second and almost say open apple every single time. So <laughs> that's fine. How are you? So, I'm excellent. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I, then I win because I was excellent. You're only okay. It was a competition and you lost. Well, this game, this game gave me <laughs> anxiety and agita and all that stuff. <laughs> we were talking about that before podcasting and, and we'll get to the game details in a bit. But yes, Mike was, uh, uh, complaining to me over email that this game was making him like super agitated mm. and nervous. Mm. Hate it, hate it, hate it. <laughs> and which is so funny because I suspect you probably beat me because I'm so bad at this game. My score is quite <laughs> low this week. And yet I loved it. So we can talk about why one of us liked it and one of us didn't. I actually did too, and, and we'll get into that. But first, feedback about Altered Beast. Oh, Altered Beast. We did indeed alter some beasts yeah, last we week. we did. Uh, mm -hmm. Our good friend Rob O'Hara, Flack, Flack, has posted again on our Facebook page. He says, I think you guys are right about these only being sold as conversion kits. The Altered I think beast you should have just stopped up to write. I think you guys are right. And then we just move on. Well, we can just end the podcast at that point. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Thanks for <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Altered Beast I owned was in an old track and field cabinet. Mm -hmm. That's one funny thing about c collecting arcade cabinets. There were so many conversions done throughout the years that sometimes it's fun to try and figure out what a game cabinet used to be. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I don't know of any Sega ROM switching systems like what Carrington was hoping for. Mm. But a simpler solution would be to buy one System 16 compatible cabinet and then buy all the six System 16 PCBs. They're cheap. And swap them in and out like really big cartridges. Or, better yet, pick up a JAMA cabinet and a Sega 16-2 JAMA adapter for about $20 in these kind of link that we'll put in the show notes. Oh, we will. So yes. And then well. he says, of course, you would need two cabinets, one for the vertical games, one for horizontal games. Oh, and one for maybe driving games and one for, oh, man, arcade collecting <laughs> is such a slippery slope. <laughs> it is indeed. Well, of course, that's coming from Rob, who at one point owned quite a few cabinets. So. Uh, Randall Gelking posted a couple of times. Uh, he wrote in first to let us know that last, uh, this, the, the audio hint for this week's game was far too easy. Um, and many of you wrote in to taunt us about that as well. Um, you guys are hereby banned from listening to the show ever again. No, we're just going to have to make it super hard. If they, if that, that you get, you reap what you sow here. So from now on, I think rather than an audio sample of the game, We'll play an audio sample of what the controller sounds like when we're using it to play the game. We'll just mic that only, and we'll play it with headphones. There, suck on that, listeners. Let's see how good you are. So, yes, you're not banned, and we need listeners. Um, and Randall said the roar in last week's audio clip teaser gave it away. That was for Altered Beast. Right, yes. Rise from your grave. That also kind of gives it away. <laughs> Going back a couple of weeks now, um, I've been missing some... Some things that I keep meaning to talk about, I, I forget. Egan Ford has sent us a couple of things, and I, I wanted to acknowledge that. So thank you, Egan. Sent me a link to the uh, pinballshowdown.com, which was the Rocky Mountain Pinball Showdown and Game Room Expo that took place here in Denver uh, April 25th through the 27th. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, that's April 25 to 27, 2014. That's next year. Aha, so we have not missed it. I have not missed it. I have Excellent. I have a few days to plan for that. That's good. Thank you, Egan, for sending that in. He also sent in a link to Geekology has uh, a, a post 
for arcade-themed post-it stop-motion videos. And these are... Basically what it is is people have created images from classic arcade games such as Ms. Pac-Man in post-it notes on a big whiteboard, and then they take a shot, and then they move all the post-its around one frame and take a shot and do it over and over and over and over. That's crazy awesome. It took over 2,304 hours, the equivalent of 96 days, spending 11 months and consists of 5,772 individual frames. That oh, is a moly. lot of work. And it's, but you can totally see how that could be done, of course, because a, a little colored post-it note square is basically a stand-in for a pixel. So mm-hmm. you can just, you know, but still, that's a lot of work by hand. Yeah, totally awesome. Totally, totally. And you, you definitely should watch it and then watch it again. I will watch it, and I will watch it again. On Twitter, let's see. I've heard of that. <laughs> that thing on Twitter. That's the thing uh, all the cool kids are on. <laughs> Dr. Quest. Chris sent in a tweet. This was back on April 14th. Have you guys been watching this guy's videos? And he sent us a, a YouTube link. Uh, it's it's to... <laughs> With your own uh, thieves like this. <laughs> Ties, T-I-G-H-E's, arcade games, etc. And it's a series of, of video uh, video clips where he goes and, and discusses and repairs all kinds of arcade games. It's really Ooh. cool. If you collect, you definitely need to check it out. That sounds totally awesome. I really should, you know, pay more attention to the things that are said to us because <laughs> I'm actually interested in all of them. <laughs> we do like you folks, I promise. Yeah, totally. That sounds amazing. I will make sure we put all these links in the show notes, mostly so that I can click on them. And more and more. Um, maybe we should just have like the show that's nothing but feedback. Ion Farmer sent in an interesting devlog concerning the Pauline conversion of the arcade Donkey Kong Mamron. This was a guy who... I love this story. Yes, he he converted Donkey Kong for his daughter so that the main character would be a female who rescued her boyfriend, which is really cool. Exactly, yes. And I just love it. I can just see how, like, you know, dad's got a young girl and she plays it and assumes, like, of course she assumes, okay, now I want to play as as a girl character instead. Like, why wouldn't the world be like that? And he's like, you know what? The world should be like that. And he just hacks it so his daughter can play um, as Pauline. Best dad ever. Love this. I complete. I love this. Yeah. And that means that this is good news for you because the link that Ian Farmer sent in is actually a set of modified MAMROM so that you can play this game yourself. Woohoo! Yeah. I have no daughter. <laughs> oh, well, then you probably don't want to play this game. <laughs> Thank you, Dan, for sending that in. I yeah, to- totally amazing. Totally amazing. Going back a, a bit, last week, a couple of uh, a corrections about something I said and a correction uh, about something I forgot to say. <laughs> so the first is Heather wrote it again. She wrote last week, and we discussed her MAME cabinet video and her cute little cat. And she wrote in to correct me that the front end on her cab, um, uh, she writes, uh, I have one small correction about the front end interface I'm using on my MAME cabinet. The program is called Maximus Arcade. And she sent us a link to it, which is just MaximusArcade.com. The Magic Engine software you mentioned is actually uh, the Turbo Graphics 16 emulator. And the thing is, I think I knew that. I remember even looking at the link thinking, oh, wait, no, this is the Turbo Graphics thing, and I'll put a correction in the links. Um, but then I just f- forgot. Sometimes my my thinky bits are not connected to my speaky bits. <laughs> so what I say and what I'm thinking, eh, not always the same thing. And um, Mike Pettengill, I guess it's pronounced Pettengill, he wrote in, actually, he was the guy who wrote a couple of weeks ago to suggest that we go back to including the tech specs when we talk about the games, as well as he was a fellow who suggested that we talk about cabinet prices and that sort of thing. And I had mentioned last week that we had that feedback and it was such a great idea and we integrated it, but I couldn't remember who wrote it. So I want to give him credit. So thank you, Mike. Those were both awesome ideas and we are continuing with them. Great. Yeah. 
C64. The letter C, Boo. the word 60, the number four. <laughs> Sorry, that's instinctive. <laughs> yes, I understand. <laughs> he wrote in to, uh, to quote you from our, um, his favorite line from our uh, Altered Beast podcast was, he's a, he's like a tissue dispenser for skulls. That itself tells you the kind of sensibility that this game has. And I'm quoting my podcast co-host, Mr. Karen Convinced. Did, did I really say that? Yeah, apparently you did. Told you, thinky bits, speaky bits. Uh, he liked it and it was pretty darn cool. I agree. Tissue dispenser for skull. Oh yeah, of course. The first, right. Yes. I actually think I remember that. Right <laughs> I don't know. I say stuff and I move on. Speaking of moving on, should we move on to our game? I think I have one more. Oh, I had um, such a good segue going. Oh, <laughs> you dropped the mug. So hit me, hit me with more feedback. There's another podcast out there called the C64 Takeaway, which is a Commodore 64 themed podcast. He's, which I think we've actually spoken about before. Yeah, he's tweeted us a couple of times mm-hmm. and we tweeted back and I just wanted to acknowledge that and say thank you. And if you're a Commodore fan, please listen. It's really If you're a Commodore fan, then what's wrong with you? <laughs> Seek yes. help. And yet still, while you're seeking help, listen to the C64 Takeaway podcast. If I remember, they were... When we last looked at it, they were up to like episode 50 or 51 or something, but hadn't podcasted in a year. And I was unable to, to chastise them for that because I too have a podcast that I haven't podcasted in about a year. <laughs> so, but I will be back. I'll be back soon. If, so if they bring back another episode of C64, I will do an episode of one megahertz to keep the world balanced. So there, challenge to you, C64 people. The gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> Duck. Okay, so I guess that finally brings us to this week's game. Ah, this week's game, which makes us so tense when playing. And uh, what was that game, Mike? Well, that game was Tapper. That everybody guessed it was indeed Tapper. I don't think anyone got it wrong, and we got a lot of taunting guesses that this was far (laughs) too easy. (laughs) The game isn't far too easy. No, no. But guessing it certainly was. I sympathize, Mm -hmm. empathize, whatever you want to call it. So Bally, Midway... Uh, hired Marvin Glass and Associates to design this game for them. Marvin Glass was a toy designer and engineering firm based in Chicago. Oh, it was not like a guy? It's not like... Well, I think he was a guy, but he founded it and then kind of died. Got it, okay. Because he founded it in 1941, so I'm assuming by by the time this came around, he was long gone or well on his way out the door. Right, he was the Marvin Glass band by then. Yes, Marvin Glass died in 1974. So, Tapper is a game in which you play a bartender, and your job is fairly simple. You have four bar tops of patrons, and they make their way down the bar towards you. Creeping toward you thirstily. And all you have to do is serve them beer. You make it sound so easy. It is. Oh, it's very simple. (laughs) And then pick up their glasses afterwards. Yes. And you can't drop a glass, and you can't miss a patron. And the controls are fairly simple. You just basically, you got this little, it's supposed to play on a tapper. We'll get talking about the cabinet soon, but you basically just, you walk up to the keg. There's one of those at the end of each of these long counters and you just pull down the tapper to draw a beer draft. And when the mug is full, you just let the tap go and it slides the, the beer mug down towards the patrons who then when they're done might, you know, they slide it back to you. Seems pretty simple. But it gets frantic and tense. Well, they don't even move that quickly. I mean, it's this, this, and this is what caused me as much stress and agony <laughs> as anything is it, it feels like a fairly slow paced game. Yeah. Like when you look at it, I look at videos of it and, and it looks so much easier than it feels when you're playing it. Yes. There's this impending sense of doom almost from the beginning that <laughs> eventually you're not going to be able to keep up anymore. And inevitably this comes true. Yep, it's awesome. And um, there's a couple of other things that will happen. Like the they'll sometimes leave money on the counter. Yes, they'll leave your and, tip. 
and you have to run down and grab it, which of course is taking you away from being at the end of the counters and jumping up and down on those, um, or jumping back and forth between those, not getting up on, on them coyote ugly style. And, um, so that, you know, pulls away from the time, but you gotta try to grab the money. And when you, like I said, when you, you pull down and you fill the mug with beer, and then when you let go, it slides it down. And the key is a lot of times there's more than one person creeping down the bar towards you. So you want to pull and you want to throw down multiple glasses. I would frequently throw down an extra, like there's three people coming at you and I whip down four of them because you can do them really quickly. And if you don't, you know, watch yourself, you send down an extra one. And if a glass drops on the ground, if you fail to catch one, one's returning or you send one too many down so there's not a patron to take it, then you lose a man. Yeah. The problem that I had with that wasn't um, sending four when there were three down. See, some of them, especially on the lower bars, take two or three glasses of beer to clear them away. They are thirsty, thirsty people. And so I would try to time it so that as soon as he finished one, I could hit him with another one and knock him off. Sometimes I would anticipate wrong and assume that it would maybe take a third drink to knock him off. And no, it wouldn't. And at right. Point it was lost. Now, the tip that you'd mentioned isn't required. You don't have to pick those up. They don't last forever. But if you don't, you're really missing out on points because the tips are by far the highest point scores. You get 1,500 points per tip that you pick up. Yep, I would go for the tips, yes. always. <laughs> uh, there are uh, four different game settings. You start out in a country western bar with a cowboy style. I got um, to that part. Yep, and you play that for two levels. The next one is a sporting event. I got to that part. And you play three levels there. Uh, the third setting is a punk rock bar. I did not get to that part. <laughs> <laughs> you play that four times, and then there's a final space bar with aliens, and you also play that four levels. There are 13 in all. And once you get to the end, you simply start over, and it gets a little bit harder. There's no end to the game. The game never ends. It does not. The beer never runs out. Well, it ends for me. <laughs> well, it certainly ended for me, too. Yes, there was there was no um, concern that I might run out of things to do in this game. No. Like you, I didn't get past the athletes, but apparently there are vignettes between each one of these settings. So the one that you and I saw was... Was awesome is what it was. I love the little vignette between these. <laughs> There's a little burglar who sneaks up and, and there are six beer cans laid out on a bar. He shakes up five of them and then twists them all around and you have to pick the one that, that isn't all loaded with um, suds. And, and if you pick wrong, then it blasts into it your face. It blasts you in the face, yes. And I get it right almost every time. I just watched them, they move around like a shell game and I found I was able to follow it, like sort of pointing my finger at it and move around and I was able to just follow it and grab the right, the right beer. And so that's pretty much how the game goes. There's not a whole lot more to it than that and yet it's very challenging. It's very, it, it it's totally a, is. It's and it's one really, of these games really hard. That, like, like we were saying it, it feels much more frantic when you're playing it than the pace of the movement on screen would make it seem we have played and reviewed a bunch of games where everything's moving way quicker than this is. But for some reason, this is a game that just, you know, gets your heart pumping <laughs> for some reason. It's like because you're juggling all these various things. And, man, it's just anxiety game. I really, really dug it, though. Yeah, there were a couple of tips that I, I figured out. As I was playing, um, and you, I'm sure you figured them out too, but the, the timing on the, on pulling the, the beer tap and filling the glass is, is really important because mm -hmm. you can do it really quickly, but if you let go too soon, it won't fill all the way and he'll just stand there. And if you hold it on for too long, obviously you, that's just going to cost you more You're time. You're just wasting time. Right. right. Yes, exactly. Uh, the other thing that I found was that when you run down the bar, 
you can, as you're running down the bar, you will pick up any empty glasses that are being thrown at you. You don't have to wait till it gets to the end. But if you're, say, you're going for a tip at the very far end and you know you're not going to make it back, you can run down, grab the tip, and then just hit the, hit the fill, push up on the joystick to fill, and he'll reappear at the, at the other end of the bar. Oh, what? Yeah, so you don't have to run all the way oh, back. Oh, man, I didn't know that. Yeah. Excuse me while I go get a better <laughs> score. Oh, I never figured that out. And I, I did that because I was panicking at one point, just randomly <laughs> pushing the joystick, going, God, please, no! Panicking only at one point? I panicked through most of this game. The very, very first part is actually not too bad. But it really quickly ramps up into, like, you know, dilated pupil version. <laughs> we just, like, can't blink and looking and just, holy cow, yeah. And I like the music, too. It's kind of, uh, I, I think it's really, really well done music. Most of it seemed original, but there's at least a couple tunes there that I recognize, like the Camp Town Ladies song or whatever it was. Yeah, so. oh, oh Susanna. Which oh, is Oh Susanna, that's the one I'm thinking old, of. Actually. Old American Western traditional song. There's another one called Buffalo Gals. Yep. Uh, we should talk about the sound for a minute. It's really good. The music was designed by Rick Hecaro, who was an electronic game developer at uh, Marvin Glass. Oh, cool. And who was also a musician. He used a proprietary sound synthesizer system uh, that he developed. It consisted of the Synclavier... I'm not a synthesizer person at all, but uh, it looks like he spent a lot of time uh, getting it right. I think it goes really well with the game. Yes, I did read about that and that how in most games they do the music by basically programming the music in. Like you go in and and you're writing code to do it or you're placing little bits on screen, that kind of stuff. And this music was actually essentially recorded. Like the, the, the synthesizer thing he was using was using the same technology or same chips that they'd have inside the machine so he's able to play it but he was also able to basically play and that would write out the code for it like basically record the music and then that playing the recording of that is actually really what goes in the machine like not an analog like not a an actual audio recording but a recording done digitally from his actual playing which is why i think the music has a real real sort of feel to it right oh and i forgot to mention um we were talking about the tips if you pick up a tip, at least in the Western level, this little can-can music starts playing and these girls come out and they dance. <laughs> yep. And it, dis- it distracts some of the, the patrons. And so that, that can give you the opportunity to go pick up more empty glasses. And it also kind of distracts me because I found it so funny. <laughs> well, what I noticed, I, the thing that got me a lot, especially on that first level, was the patrons on the top level bar there are sometimes obscured by the first by the Budweiser sign and then by the dancing girls. And I, I forget that they're up there because I don't see them. And so all of a sudden the game is over. I'm like, what happened? And oh, well, I miss serving that guy. I've got trivia about the sound. Oh, well, since we were talking about sound, please. They recorded burping. So the people that were developing it, a few people at Bally, they decided it would be fun because they've got this this uh, audio system that can record stuff. and that's, uh, They also were going to digitize some sound of burping and they would include that in the game because it seemed like it would be pretty funny. So they actually sat around one evening all drinking and recording their own belches and they put it in the game. But then when they would beta test it, they're like that gets really annoying really quickly <laughs> and it wasn't actually included in the, in the game as released, but they did actually record a whole bunch of burps. I'm glad they didn't include that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Tapper features a Z80 CPU at 5 megahertz for its main CPU. The sound CPU is also a Z80 at 2 megahertz. It has two sound chips, the uh, AY8910s, both at 2 megahertz. A four-way joystick, one button, and allows for uh, two players, um, not at the same time. Pretty hefty hardware specs for a game from 84, I think. 
five megahertz. That's a lot of megahertz. That's a whole bunch of megahertz, baby. And it all went into a very classic cabinet. Totally, totally awesome. Please tell me about the cabinet. Well, what's cool about the cabinet is the, the original version of this game, like the, the first release of it was actually sponsored by Anheuser-Busch, which is a company that makes what you Americans think is beer. <laughs> and, no, um, even we don't think that's beer. And, uh, but it had brass rails, like this brass rail along the bottom that is a footrest because it was supposed to be like a bar. It had drink holders built into it. And the game controllers were actual Budweiser beer tap hand- handles. Uh, and had color side art, and there was only like a few hundred, I think something like 300 of those made. So they're super collectible. Then there was a, a another version released that just had, still sponsored by uh, Anheuser-Busch, but it wasn't as high-end. It had black and white side art, which still looks really cool. And the the controllers were now just um, fake beer taps with the Bud logo on them. So it's a little less collectible. Then... And so the game, the idea was this would be sold into bars. And so it's got, and, and that's why the, the Budweiser sign sort of be, is at the back in the actual game itself in the graphics. And so it's a basically a sponsored game. Really, really interesting marketing move. The, of course, in arcades, which are, you know, ideally something that's supposedly for children, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily going to fit into there. So, um, the next year, 1985, there was a, a different version of the, the cabinet and a, and a tweaked version of the game put out called Root Beer Tapper. And so it removes the, the beer part. Exact same gameplay, though, but now it's just called Root Beer Tapper, and it's more suitable for around children. I, I believe that uh, the, the branding in the games has, had changed as well to, to instead of, in the game, instead of saying Budweiser, it said Root Beer. And then in the home versions, they were actually branded like Mountain Dew and Coke and things like that. Cool. I think that was another reason they did it, too, because they wanted to do the, you know, license out the home version of the game. And um, so that's what got licensed out right away is the, the root beer tapper version. Now, before we get too far away from the cabinets, if you live in or around Denver and you can make it down to the one-up arcade in downtown, uh, they do have one of those very rare original cabinets. Oh, nice. Wow, cool. So you can go play it there. It works. I, I've played it there a few times. It's cool. If you'd like to see what the next variation looks like, Flack has posted a, a picture of himself with a tapper cabinet that he restored on our Facebook nice. page. Yep, so check that out. Very cool. I will check that out. That's say, awesome. Say hello to uh, Rob's picture. <laughs> hello, Rob's picture. <laughs> I looked at some cabinets online mm-hmm. and found a couple for sale and looked at some price lists and that kind of stuff. There, it's a That color one is a particularly rare cabinet. Like I said, there was only 300 or something like that made. And on ArcadeMuseum.com, uh, like only 124 are accounted for or something. So not a lot of those out there. They typically go anywhere for 1000 up to $2,000, so like it's depending on the condition of them. Wow. So, yeah, super expensive. It's, you know, in, in the high end of, of uh, cabinets. If you get the later version, the non-color version, then they're typically going for about half that. But still, even then, can be like a, you know, it's a pricey cabinet to get, I guess, because it is something... It's an interesting thing. We've talked a lot about cabinets and like why somebody would want an original game versus why you'd want um, just to use a MAME cabinet. And a lot of games, I might say like, hey, I love this game, but I can play it on MAME because the the play wouldn't be any different. Like there's not, it's not like something like Discs of Tron, for instance, that uses the same, um, what is this, the Midway MCR3 stuff. So Discs of Tron uses essentially the same hardware. And that's a game with special controllers and stuff. So it's a game you can't really really play in MAME unless you're going to, you know, make yourself a really dedicated controller. So games like that and the Star Wars game, I can really see 
the reason to have a dedicated cabinet. Versus a lot of games, including the ones we've talked about, I might love the game, but I think you don't really get anything much about playing this in a real system versus a decent main machine with a, an arcade monitor, that kind of stuff. Here, it's an interesting combination of the two. You have a game which I played at home and I, and plays really well under main. Like you're not really missing anything. The controls aren't, you know, spectacular. A joystick and a button and you, and you're gold. Um, you can get a really great game playing experience for this game in main, but the cabinet itself is like a work of art. Like the cabinet itself, I think would be worth having. Even though it doesn't affect the gameplay, there's something really special about that cabinet with the, the brass rail on the bottom and the cup holders, and it really stands out. It's really an iconic cabinet. So I can see an argument why you'd want to have a real cab for this one. Would I drop $2,000 on it? No, I would not. <laughs> but Yeah, but so so it's sort of like uh, Satan's Hollow. where How would you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> you couldn't I've, play that as a I've child. I've never played or seen that game. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> No, it's it's sort of like Satan's Hollow, where a lot of effort and thought went into the cabinet, and so it becomes as much a part of the gameplay experiences as the actual interaction with the game. Yeah, and I think this is an example of a really, really well done cabinet. Like it's a cabinet that it's just you know so many little details differentiate it from a typical cabinet. It's just it's really is a thing of beauty. So totally awesome. Uh, there were a total of uh, thirty three hundred Tapper uprights made. Uh, and the first hundred or so were the ones with the color art. And, and oh, so just a hundred. Wow. Yeah, so, so those few. are very rare. And about 300 cocktail machines were made. I've, you know, I've never seen a cocktail machine for this. I, I didn't even either. know there was one. Did the cocktail machine have a little tiny tab? <laughs> <laughs> or like a bottle cap you move or something? I have no idea. Probably. <laughs> no. Yeah. There was also a Japanese version of this game called Suntory. It was made. Wait, like, like the thing in um that movie, uh, uh, I was going to say sleepless in Tokyo, but that's not what it was called at all. <laughs> lost, lost in translation. Remember that was what he was drinking, Suntory, oh, yes. Suntory it, time. Well, yes, and it says Suntory is a Japanese beer, and that's what this was based around. Awesome. So, are you playing a little Bill Murray when you play Suntory version? Because that would be pretty awesome. The the Japanese version was made by Sega. Now, there's also I found reference on the Arcade Museum in their database about something another game called Soda Pop Tapper. But oh, I never heard of that. Yeah, me either. And I couldn't really, there's not a lot of information here and I can't find any other references to it. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. Well, then I have a question for you. Okay. What do you call that sort of thing? Do you say pop? Do you say soda? Do you say cola? Do you use a brand name? When you order something like that, what do you say, Mike? What do they say in your part of the world? As as a military brat, I moved all over the place, so I heard all of those variations. Mm-hmm. I the the thing that pops out of my mouth is usually uh, either either Coke or pop. I say the same thing. I say Coke. Yeah, it just it's so I, random. And, and I'm not necessarily referring to Coca Cola. Just yeah. that's the, the the dark sugary okay. soda stuff. So. But if you're not going to use the brand name in your parts of the world, you find that most people are saying pop. Probably so. Not like soda. Yeah, I, I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they'll run okay. me out of town on a rail for, for screwing up the, the local culture. Um, so um, that brings us to our next score. segment. Yes. Score. Want to talk score? Let's... My score is not very high. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I did, like... I did get past like the first bit. Like like we talked about, the, those, those various stages. And the first stage with the Cowboys, I can get past them and I can generally do that. Like I, but not always. I sometimes don't even make it past those first levels. And then there's the, um, the switching guy who shakes everything up, which is my favorite part of the game. So hilarious. And then I would make it to the, um, the, the next bit, the, the sports part. Best I ever did though was still only 8,225. Ah. So 
Did I actually beat you? No. Oh. <laughs> you didn't even come close this time. <laughs> okay. How'd you do? 18,350. Oh, God. You got super past me. Well, there's, there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> you cheated. Well, well, clearly. Of course. Of course I did. No, you can, I, I'm not sure what triggers you necessarily moving from stage to stage, but I found that by, by kind of slowing down at the end there, once you figure out the rhythm of each stage, you can draw it out so that you get more patrons on the earlier levels and get and, and run the score up before you move on to the higher levels. Oh, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. So for I never example, figured that bit out. Well, so like a, as as a quick example on on the first level, the very first level, I would start at the second second one down and then go up to the top and then the third one and the fourth one. Well, I found if I hesitate a little bit on the fourth one, let him get a little bit further along before I send him on his way, another patron will appear at the second second one down and, and they'll continue to come out for a little bit longer before I move on and I still get the points. Ah, nice. Yeah, it kind of felt, and I don't know if this is the case, but maybe people can write in because the game is so frantic. I wasn't able to really figure this out, but I think it's that when you when you clear the bar, like when you've got nobody coming down is when the stage ends. So like if you can sort of get everybody's beer and they all go off the side and you've got nobody that you is in progress. Well, that's... I think that's what happens. That's sort of true. I, I found that, that by playing this way, eventually you'll get to a point where there's only one patron left and nobody else will come out. So Right. They're just sort of, sick of you and your Yeah, they're sort of in, encouraging you because otherwise, I mean, you know, you could sit on one of those early levels forever and just run the score up. Well, clearly you did exactly that. Uh, which is exactly what I did. Which However, is pretty funny, though, because we were just talking about how we both essentially got the same distance into the game. We just both got to the sports section. But your score is far more than twice mine. Right. So yeah. your technique worked much better than my technique. Yes. Well-techniqued. The uh, arcade version of Tapper, um, the high score holder, has nothing to worry about, as usual from us. <laughs> this is the, in the on the tournament setting, uh Gregory Irway uh, scored a scored three million one hundred sixty two thousand one hundred twenty five points, and he did it all on the first level. <laughs> yeah, uh, on June fifth, two thousand five. Oh, so recently. Yep. And the marathon setting. I'm not sure what the difference is. I'm sure it has to do with the the, the dip switch settings. Mm -hmm. uh, that was set on uh, December fourth, two thousand five, at an arcade called Totally Amused by Kelly Thorpe. And his or her score was 9,437,400 points. I got 8,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> but regardless of the score, I had a great time with this Oh, game. totally. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And while I was saying before that I can really see how if you were collecting arcade games, uh, cabinets, you would want one of these because it's an iconic cabinet. Even without the cabinet, though... It's a total blast to play. I just, you know, just sitting with uh, Mame and and a joystick, total total fun. Love, really, really, really enjoyed playing this game. Me too. I, I found that that when I was done playing the game, I had to go take a nice sedative and lie down for a while to calm down. <laughs> you do it. You get your heart pounding. Yeah, your, your your pulse is racing there at the end. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I love it. Yeah. Let's see if we can get our listeners' uh, pulses racing with the next week's game. Which sounds like what? Like this.
That's it. The, 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 that's a challenging one. Nobody's going to get that one. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure they'll figure it out. But I mean, well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, how everybody was happy that we were going with more obscure titles. And then we went immediately right back to, you know, Altered Beast and, and Tappert. So. Which is why we're going with your homebrew game next week. <laughs> that's right. Yes. This is a game that you won't guess because nobody's ever played. <laughs> Not even finished. That's right. <laughs> well, awesome. I look forward to doing virtual battle with you next week, and maybe I will actually get more than half your score. Indeed. Awesome. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Carrington. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, why not head over to iTunes where you can leave us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find the show. You can also interact with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noquarterpodcast or follow us on Twitter at noquartershow. Feedback to the show can be sent to feedback at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain.